Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hello, and welcome again to our study in this wonderful book of Exodus. Let's look to God in prayer. Again, Lord, we understand that you are the one, the only one, who can open our eyes so that we can see wondrous things out of your law. And so this day we pray, Lord, open our spiritual eyes that we might see our wonderful Savior. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to in the book of Exodus, uh, we'll just focus in now on the passage we're gonna study, which is Exodus chapter three. And we'll start reading in uh, verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, when we look at this passage here, and particularly focusing on verse seven, we see here what was it that motivated God to come to deliver his people from the Egyptians. It's very significant how God expresses himself, how he says that what it was that he found about how his people were being treated that motivated him to take this action of what he says is to come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And we see this in verse seven, where God said, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. In this verse, God expresses a very intimate knowledge, a close knowledge, a first-at-hand knowledge of what was happening to his people. In our last study, we saw how this is the first time that God calls these Jewish people, my people. Well, here, he's now expressing, it's like he's coming out of himself 
when he says these words, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. God said that he had seen. No, God didn't just say he'd seen. God said that he had surely seen what was going on. Literally, the Hebrew is reading like this. I have seen, I have seen. There's a double emphasis. It's said twice there. Just like in the very beginning of this whole passage in verse four, when God went to call Moses, he called Moses. He said, Moses, Moses. He didn't use his name twice in order to emphasize the great importance. And so here again, we find God emphasizing by saying twice, the great importance to what he has seen. I have seen, I have seen. It's a serious situation. It's an important situation with God, and he emphasizes it. And this is really getting at what is motivating God, what it is that is causing him to take this unprecedented action. Because what does he see here? He sees what he calls the affliction of my people, the affliction. It's a very interesting word, affliction, the word oni, in Hebrew, it's a word that is used especially to describe the condition or the state of the Jewish people in Egypt. This word, oni, this is what God has seen. This is what has really captured God's attention. It has disturbed him. It has motivated his heart. It's this word, affliction, oni. And the word has a meaning, a root meaning, that means to look down on, or to browbeat. It's a state really described probably best by our word depression. It's the word depression. It's a depression to the point of hopelessness, of no hope. This word, oni, affliction here, really describes what the Jewish people felt like when they were in the vice of the Egyptians, and that they had been in this pressure for so long, they were just worn down. They were just worn out. They were just brought to a place where their will was broken, and they no longer had a will to live. This is encapsulated in the word oni, affliction, depression, the way the Jewish people felt there because they had gone through this slavery and we've seen that the slavery got harder and harder and the Egyptians came across as more and more heartless and heartless and it was a, described as a bitter affliction, bitter and bitter during the Passover ceremony God instituted in uh, Exodus he said that they should eat every year bitter herbs, horseradish, to symbolize the bitterness that the Egyptian people put onto the Hebrew people, driving them into this state of depression. Because it was now clear to the Jewish people that the Egyptian people had no heart at all, no compassion at all for the plight of the Jewish people. The Jewish people now had come to the understanding that they would never rise up from under the hand, as God called it, of the Egyptians. They would never come out from the oppression of the Egyptians. They were forever consigned to this horrible state of being under the heel of people who hated them 
and wanted to destroy them. The Jewish people now understood that there was no hope, no hope for them of getting out from under the Egyptians. The Jewish people now understood that the Egyptians had no interest at all in letting the Jewish people eventually coexist, live together, to live as servants under the Egyptians. That was not the interest of the Egyptian people because now the Jewish people understood that the Egyptians were determined to carry out a slow but definite, resolute, final solution for the Jewish problem in Egypt. The slow extermination of the Jewish people. And they knew this. And now that this realization has set in on the Jewish people, it's left them in this state that's described here by this word oni in verse seven, which translated for us affliction. It's a state of being cast down. It's a state of darkness. It's a state of extreme sadness and sorrow. It's a state of depression. So using the root word of depression for the word affliction, in verse seven, we could read it like this. God and the Lord said, I have seen, I have seen the depression of my people, their heartless condition, and seeing his people, God seeing his people in this state of depression was a great concern for God, and it's motivated him now to take action. And we can understand from this verse that when God sees his people, when God sees anyone, when God sees us in a state of depression, it's a great concern for God, a great concern for God. Why? Because God's not the God of depression. He's not. The devil, Satan, he's the God of depression. He's the God of discouragement. He's the God of darkness and sadness and grief and so forth. But God, he's the God of happiness. God is the God of, of joy. And that's why when God describes the ideal situation of what's gonna happen, and he has this vision for the Jewish people, he has this vision for when he comes back and returns to their capital, Jerusalem, he describes what it's gonna be like in Zechariah chapter eight, verse three, where the Lord says, for thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. See, this is God's vision. This is who God is, because he, this is what he wants. And his vision for Jerusalem is that, first of all, he'll return to Jerusalem to live there. He says, he puts it there, to dwell in the midst, to shachan, to dwell. Same word was, which is used for the, the tabernacle, the mishkan, a dwelling place. As what it says in Exodus 25, 3, let them make me a, a dwelling place, a shachan, a mishkan. Uh, a tabernacle, let them make me a dwelling place that I may dwell among them. He wants to, God wants to. And so here he's describing the time 
when he comes and returns and dwells in Jerusalem to live there, he unpacks his bag there, and he says, Jerusalem is going to be called at that time a city of truth. That will be the place where all nations will flow to to find the truth of God. And he says, Jerusalem will be a holy city, a holy city. And then he said, there'll be so much joy. There'll be so much happiness there that the streets, he says, are going to be full of boys and girls playing in the street. That makes God happy. That makes God very, very happy. That vision of streets full of boys and girls playing in the street. Not grumpy drivers saying, can't you keep your kids out of the street? But no, God says, let them play, let them play. This is wonderful. Streets full of boys and girls. Because that's what God loves. God's a God of joy. He's a God of happiness. Job describes God in Job 8.21 when it says, till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. God loves a good belly laugh. God loves laughing. Why? Because laughing reflects joy. Laughing reflects freedom and uh, the ability to be able to laugh. What the Egyptians had done to the Jewish people is taken away their ability to laugh. As Job says, till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. No laughing, no rejoicing, just oni, just affliction, just depression. And God, God doesn't like that. And so he wants to fill, he wants to fill mouths with laughing and fill lips with rejoicing. So what's the opposite of laughing and rejoicing? It's depression. And that's the state that he saw his people in in verse 7 when he says, I've seen the affliction or depression of my people. It's this deep sense of darkness. And it comes over our soul. And as it comes over this deep sense of darkness, this cloud, it brings with it a great sense of sadness. And then there's the pull of it. And the pull is to pull lower and lower and lower into the pit of darkness, that's depression. That's what depression is. And we are to respond to depression as God wants us to respond to depression by understanding God didn't give us that. That did not come from God. That came from the, God, the other God, the God of depression, Satan. And what we are to do with Satan is described in James 4, 7, where he said, resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Full verse says, submit yourselves therefore unto God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So when those clouds of depression come over our souls, that's the time to remember Exodus 3, 7. I have seen, I have seen the depression of my people. Then from what follows in Exodus 3, we're going to see how God did something. He didn't just sit there and just say, oh, I got a report now. I see the report on my people are depressed. But he went into action. And this is, well, what this is here is really this is an account of God flying into action because he saw the depression of his people. What was the action that God flew into? He calls Moses. And so for the people, they should understand help is on the way. And the people had to wait for God's help and resists the depression in the meantime until God's help in the person of Moses arrived. Now we all have those clouds of depression. Some of us comes over more often, some of it's a chemical imbalance in our bodies, sometimes it's a situation, doesn't matter. 
It all comes as the same clouds of depression, and they come over our souls, and God calls on us to resist them, to resist them. And this happened to me yesterday. Just yesterday, I was totally broadsided. I had no idea that I was in for a cloud of depression, but it happened, and I didn't see it coming. You know, I had gone back for my six-month checkup with the oncologist at the beautiful Morris Cancer Center at the University of California, San Diego. And the outside of this building is, ah, it could win awards. It's beautiful facade of glass on the side of the building, beautiful ceramic tiles, curved building, beautiful. You walk inside the building, there's, there's beautiful terrazzo floors of different colors. And so I, my guard was kind of down. I'm thinking, oh, beautiful, beautiful. I'd been there many times. But as soon as I walked into that building, I saw the sign-up desk for the chemo infusion. And I looked down the hall, and I saw the patients sitting there waiting for their name to be called so they could get a one of the chairs for the chemo infusion. And I knew those doors. I knew those doors because I'd all too often had went through those doors and they led into the room and I knew the layout of the room and I remember the chemo chairs and I remember when I went through that six months of chemo and it just came upon me like a flood. The memory of the six months of chemo that brought me so close to death that I stopped two months short. It was an eight-month course and I said, no, I can't do anymore. This is gonna kill me. So I stopped after six months. But seeing that chemo infusion sign-up desk there, it just reminded me of seeing all those patients. I remember those patients coming through those beautiful glass doors, having the ambulance pull up, the stretchers coming out, the patients lying on the, the stretchers already close to death and then going into those infusion doors and the patients receiving the chemo. I remember being in the chemo room and seeing those patients crumpled up like crumpled up pieces of paper in the chairs, their bodies trying to endure the poisonous chemos that were raging through their veins, burning up their veins, destroying the flow of blood as we sadly found out later. In many cases, because of the chemo, and it reminded me, as I looked at all that, of all the side effects, and I'm still fighting from the chemo, and all those scenes of death and the dying within the beautiful building, and all the looking around the building, and not like our clinic down in Takati, no scripture plaques on the walls, no Bibles on any of the tables for you're sitting down, it just had all the warmth of beautiful, cold, stainless steel and a cloud of depression just moved over my head like happens to all of us. And I told my wife, I just felt so low, so down, so sad, so dark, so depressed. It was after 9 p.m. I wanted to call my friend to talk about it, but I thought oh, I might be asleep, so I didn't. And I felt so down and I, I wanted to resist the cloud of depression, but with the sadness, I couldn't even open my Bible and read it. I couldn't even read my Bible. So what did I do? I decided to sit down and just listen to the words of the beautiful hymns. And as I sat there 
and listen to the music and listen especially to the words. And I thought about those words as I was listening to them and those words just healed me. They healed me. They were like a, a cleansing flood that just washed over me. Listening to the words of the hymns was like standing under a waterfall of pure water that just washed the sadness away. As I listened and I thought about those words, great words. Here's some of the words that I was listening to, healing words. Here they are. Every voice and heart is swelling. Worthy is the lamb slain. When we see thee as a victim, nailed to the accursed tree, for our guilt he were stricken, for our judgment borne by thee. Lord, we all with hearts adoring, thou hast loved us unto blood. Glory, glory everlasting be to thee, the Lamb of God. There is a fountain open for my cleansing where sin's atonements by my Lord was made. He was the lamb that was led to the slaughter. His blood, the fountain, where my debt was paid. Open for me, open for me. The precious cleansing fountain was open for me. I know a name, a wonderful name. I know a name that can drive away all sorrow. I know a name that is sweeter than them all. I know a name from which comfort I may borrow. When trials come and when tears of anguish fall, I know a name, that wonderful name, that wonderful name is Jesus. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. There's a sweet and blessed story of the Christ who came from glory just to rescue me from sin and misery. He in loving kindness sought me, and from sin and shame he brought me. Hallelujah, Jesus ransomed me. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on thy behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written in his hands. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Safe on his gentle breast. There by his love o'ershaded, sweetly my soul shall rest. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Safe from corroding care. Free from the bite of sorrows, free from doubts and fears. He was wounded for our transgressions. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. For our guilt, he gave us peace. From our bondage, gave release. And with his stripes, and with his stripes, our souls are healed. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing love, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, 
and bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 